Hey guys and girls, welcome to the second episode of Front Page Dub. My name is Cody Ojeda, I am a contributor at Front Page Football, and alongside me is Matt Olson, one of our other contributors. We are probably the two of the main ones, I guess, that focus on the women's football. Obviously, we do bridge out to the men's as well, and as I said last week, we do have some amazing contributors such as Antonis Pagonis, Jack Toole, Jeremy McGann, that do do a lot of good work in the women's space as well, but Matt... You're the one sitting beside me today. How are you doing? Yeah, look, um, a very um, uh, important, uh, you know, festive period that we're getting into now. A lot of football to crack into, particularly from a WA perspective. I'll just just touch on this. We have six home games in the next three weeks, both men's and women. Um, so I'm going to be watching a lot of football over the next month, Cody. And uh, to get into to get into this, to to get some positivity back in the game really important after been after what's been going on. So I hope everyone's had a good Christmas and more importantly, on a personal note for you, Cody, congratulations on your engagement to, uh, to Tori. Um, very, um, very happy times for you indeed. I imagine. Very happy times. Very, very happy Christmas. Thank you so much, Matt. Actually, that does um, mean a lot. Um, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. That wasn't scripted. Anyway. Yes. Uh, a lot of football going on at Perth. Way to di- divert away from that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a lot of football going on at Perth. You're going to be at Macedonia. You live in at Macedonia Park for the next three weeks then? Uh, yeah. I pretty much will be camping outside Macedonia Park. Yes. <laughs> and where would you rather be in Perth? So much football to be played across the men's and the dub competitions. We are going to get stuck into it. And last week was unfortunately a very negative episode. <laughs> Because we were starting off the back of the APL's ridiculous decision, and it is still a stupid decision, as much as Danny Townsend will say the emotion has worn off. And obviously, of course, we did touch on all the stuff happening with Georgina Worth and some of those DMs that she received, but we're going to start on a lighter note today, and a very positive aspect about the dub competition in general is the young players that come through, and this season has been no different. This season has not disappointed us in that regard. We have a ton of stars coming through already. Some that have just featured at the Under-20s Women's World Cup. Some that will still be eligible by the time the next tournament runs around. And some new, not necessarily new faces, but some ones that are really starting to burst onto the scene. The main one that I would like to talk about, it's one that Jack Tool has actually done. A players to our, one of our um, Youth in Focus articles, Melina Ayres. I can't remember how she's oh she's off the top off, off the top of my head and I'm gonna check that in two seconds. But top goal scorer, five goals this season already in her first five games. Matt, absolutely star player, and it looks like as much as she was starting those two games for victory when they did have a bit of a slow start to the season in a way, their turnaround in form has definitely come from her get, one actually getting involved in games. Obviously, those first two games I was starting against. Well, playing against two very, very good sides in Sydney FC and West United. But since then, she's really found her feet. She's almost looking unstoppable. And Melbourne Victory look all the better for it. She's, you know, she's she's done everything that she's needed to do and, and everything that's really been asked of her. She's been reliable from the penalty spot. She's anchored in, uh, you know, some some important support from from a really experienced midfield in behind her as well. Um, and as you say, it was important that victory got off to an important start, given that they were playing really the upper echelon of opponents um, to start the season. But it more so means that when you're going to come up against the Wanderers or, or Wellington or these sides at the bottom of the competition where their women's programs 
They're honestly a bit of a shambles at the moment. When you're when you're facing that caliber of opposition, and you've got someone like Molina Ayers who who has that that confidence about her, um, you know that you're guaranteed to be getting a really really efficient shift out of her, and that you'll be putting a lot of goals on the board. Um, so really for for Molina, I think she's got a, a big season ahead of her and a big landmark season like in years prior that we've seen people of a younger age, uh, you know, girls of a younger age coming into the competition, setting a light and and already making that move to be going to the US or to be going uh, to parts of Europe, um, you know, in our off season. Um, and you can really, you know, you can, th- that has multiple benefits, both, you know, from a, from a Matilda's perspective, from sort of a, a youth academy perspective, from, you know, just, just the, the benefit of the clubs to be playing more, more um, at an experienced level overseas. So there's, there's, you know, the sky really is the limit for her right now, basically. And um, yeah, to just take it on a week by week basis, though, she's doing what she needs to do. And there's, there's plenty more to come. So 23 years old, so she's probably coming out of that phase of being as a young player where she probably still is in that, in that space a little bit now, but definitely coming into the end of that period of her career where she will be starting to take on that responsibility of a team where she is going to be one of the key figures in that Melbourne victory side moving forward. Yeah, of Which course. Is sad, of but, course. But, but, yeah. but just, just to mention that, say that she ends up moving away as a result of good form, it means that, you know, the next 16, 17-year-old playing in the MPL in Victoria is probably making a run to get that victory spot thereafter. So it extends to something um, that a few players have been speaking about. It's been a really big talking point in female football is the idea of starting up an under-23s program, almost so that we can go and play sort of the Suzuki Cup in Southeast Asia and these types of tournaments. Um, and even against like nations in Oceania, I know the under-20s recently played against the likes of Fiji and the Solomon Islands and stuff. Um, but to be able to do that at that level, basically what, what I'm getting to here, Cody, is um, to just be able to bridge that gap so that someone like Melina Reyes, who isn't quite at that Matildas level yet, um, can find a way to progress more, maybe make a move overseas, and then bed that position in for the next 16, 17-year-old striker to be able to take over that position at victory as well. So that that's why I mention it being a particularly particularly powerful tool for youth because it because it'll it'll sort of bridge that gap and it'll mean that the next talent can be blooded in um See, into a team like with Melbourne Victory, you would almost say they have kind of already done that with my Markovsky. She's only what 21. She's only just turned 21 recently from memory. She's already had that experience in the A-League women's. She's broken her duck last season. She really already starting to find the back of the net. So they kind of already have that succession planning in place where Melina is she is really coming into fruition now as a real star of this um competition in a way, where if she does make that move, that can't have that replacement already lined up ready. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I'm just saying, it, 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 it what it will do is it'll set up a better pathway for oh, even course, younger, yeah, yeah. For, for even younger girls and, and women. Um, but we, you want to talk about young talent? I mean, there are there are better better examples going around. Um, oh, look, we better maybe. Uh, I wouldn't say that's the best term for it, but younger i guess and i think i know who you're going to put a mention to because it's someone that i've been harping on about myself personally actually well well, well, look to the best of my knowledge cody you and i watched the shit out of that under 20s campaign in costa rica right i I did i did the article on it for us and you were pretty you were pretty peeved i did did a little bit i did a preview for it yeah you did the preview and then i did the review so there there we go We, we were the ones that were all over it but obviously um you know one of the standout players throughout the campaign um, was Daniela Gallich, right? And she's come into this city team, one that is 
you know, a presence that's pretty much guaranteed up there with the best in the competition, of course. Yeah, yeah, well, of course, but but true by the fact they're coming first. Well, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, but for her, for her to be an important cog in that wheel as one of the best teams in the competition, and for her to be doing it, she's she's 17, right, Cody? 16, 16, 16. 16. even younger. So for her to be doing that at that age, right, we're already seeing this pathway being set and we're seeing quite literally an elite talent. I don't want to say like the next Sam Kerr, obviously, because the comparison doesn't work from a positional perspective, but we are seeing like the elite talent of the future right before our eyes. For her to be doing this before she is even legally an adult, Cody, I mean, it's it's massive. Um, and everywhere she goes, I mean, you think about it, they played their game uh, this weekend in Queen Vian, right? Like in the middle of nowhere, pretty hostile environment to be going, pretty uncomfortable environment to be going. There's there's all sorts of things going on with the weather there and you're playing at a, an abandoned footy oval. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a weird place to be going, but it didn't matter to her. She was she was world-class and she was she was weaving through the Canberra defence like it was no problem. Um, and that that adversity being built up and that that talent to be able to shine no matter the conditions as well, that, that plays a big part in in being a successful sort of um you know, uh, be, being being a successful, uh, how can I put this? Just just being someone who is a presence that helps the, the team around her is, is where, where I'm more or less going with that. And for her to be able to do that at the age that she's at, I mean, what does it say about her being not just not just a, a future Matilda, but our next big star as well? You know, I'm, I'm really I would 100% say, say she's our next big star because I know you don't like the same kind of comparison because they're a different field, but if you're talking their ceiling just in terms of her quality perspective i think a better comparison might be mary fowler although mary fowler is still herself in a very early stage of her career ellie carpenter probably in the same position as well still like as much as she's probably making a name for herself now as one of the best in her position despite her injury she probably is she's still very early in her career i mean you're talking she's still 22 23 I'm pretty but, sure. Well, I mean, she's she's been playing for nearly a decade, though. Well, that's, Ellie that's Carpenter made her debut at the same age yeah. as Daniela Galich is now. What does it say about Galich, though? What does it say about her, her ability to be able to bet in as a mainstay in the league, uh, uh, you know, future moves to, to the US, future moves to the Women's Super League in England, all these kinds of things, and her ability to keep that presence consistently for years and years and years. We've seen it with the likes of Valley Carpenter, you know, she she made her debut for the Wanderers, I believe it was, when she was about fifteen, and this was this was so long ago that the W League was still on on the ABC. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're going back a long time, and and that presence, you know, she's obviously she's obviously um playing uh, playing for Lyon uh, in uh, in the Liga Femenina in uh, in uh, France, right? So her ability to be able to sort of keep that consistent presence and her ability to be able to manifest that into some form where she's she's going to be a very reliable number for for the Matildas for a very long time to come. I mean, it just, it, it excites me watching Galich week in, week out, knowing where the ceiling is and knowing how close she's going to get to touching that and to just be this incredible player for the future. So, you know, it, it's no good when she's coming up against, uh, you, you know, the Adelaides and the Wanderers and and uh, you know the Jets and Glory and all these teams that we here at FPF follow—it's uh, not—it's not much fun, but it is extremely fun knowing that uh, she's an Aussie and that that this this ceiling that she has—I mean, she's going to be an incredible player for the future. Yeah. Would you consider her a bolter for the Matildas, or is that maybe we don't need to rush her? We we don't need to rush her. That's the thing. And and to go back to what I was saying 
about that sort of under 23s program that the reason why we're trying all those different sort of uh you know intermediate pathways for one of a for, for lack of a better term um is because there is so much fucking talent going on in the women's game right now that you know we would need to have a matilda squad with 90 players in it just just to be able to satisfy the needs of all of these players coming through oh, i completely um, understand that because the one thing like it does happen a little bit with the elite women's where once someone does really get into a hot run of form the calls do come out pretty quickly saying should they be in the matildas oh let's push them in let's go let's go let's go the problem is the matilda side we have now is stacked like if you're talking like yeah. you're talking look at the level that a lot of the seniors are playing at you're talking WSL, NWSL, it's it's cra- it's crazy in a way. So I understand where we are in a position where there probably just genuinely is enough room, especially in the middle of the park, where Gallage is going to make is going to be pushing for a spot. But if we do get that twenty three setup going, even if it's like a B squad where you do maybe have one or two players that are older, given maybe some chance for players come back from injury to go through there first and go back into the Matildas. I know England used to do that. Um. A England B years ago, and anyone that plays football manager knows that that's something you can do on that. But if we had something like that for the Matildas, where, oh, like you're talking about, we can bridge that gap. Suddenly, it's even talking about players that might be rusted on that we've known for years. Someone that comes to mind that would really benefit from it would actually be Princess Abini, someone who's yeah. got a lot of quality in her, maybe not at the stage where she should be. 100% playing week, playing each international window for the Matildas, but definitely is on the precipice, but just isn't getting the opportunity due to what's in front of her. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you, you look at, to, to reflect on that sort of under 20 squad. I mean, the names, the names are all off the tongue very easily. You've got the likes of Kirsty Fenton, who's made the move from the Jets to Sydney. Obviously, she, that move, like, sorry to interrupt you, but that move, no, she's right. come out really, really well in that. And you're talking, she's had to replace the likes of, Abby Green, who last season was probably the best left back in the competition, mm. she's filled those boots very, very well. Mm. You look at you look at some of the standout players from that campaign. Um, you know, Sarah Hunter was Sarah Hunter was the captain. She scored the penalty that that sort of got us back into that game against Costa Rica, and um, and she, you know, she's she seems almost a little bit anonymous in the Sydney team, but it's for the better because she's she's an important cog in the wheel, right? You look at the likes of sort of you know Abby Lemon, Briley Henry. Uh, you know Naomi Chinema, who who made that really important tackle uh, to deny Perth uh, uh, yesterday, um, and and just you know those kinds of things. Um, you know Hannah is obviously you know it's it's a very personal one for me. Obviously being from Perth, Hannah Larry, um, she she was talking to Sport FM uh, on the radio in, in in WA here, and she spoke about how you know she was she was um, taken in as part of that future Matildas program that they had. And in the off season, over the winter, they got her to join Blacktown Spartans um, in the in the NPL New South Wales. And how so many people around the country, so many so many women who are playing the game, are going to have to make all these drastic moves and 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 try and find a way through all these different pathways simply because there's that much competition going on. And um, that can only be a good thing for the future. It means that there's potentially another golden generation on the rise. Um, but the disappointing thing is, you know, there's only going to be what 23, 26 spots, uh, for a home world cup. And it means a lot of really talented girls that are going to be missing out. So, but look, from, from an overall perspective, I mean, looking at the competition, the other women is in a really healthy position, um, which is, is only a good thing, you know, from, from a talent perspective, but it also, it really kind of hurts because we know that everything else in the game is, is a bit messy at the moment. So 
Yeah, this, yeah, this, look, this, when this, you've this got a bad. boardroom hell-bent on <laughs> reducing excitement in this league when there's still so much young talent to be excited about, that's extremely, extremely frustrating. It is disappointing that simply because there's no financial incentive, a lot of clubs in Australia don't put an emphasis on their on their female programs as much as they can. And... Well, that's a lot of the reports that have come out today where a lot of clubs are actually, well, not a lot of clubs, at least Melbourne Victory. I know their finances have kind of been leaked today yeah, well, a little the, bit. The finances, I mean, at the end of the day, the Victory were the one, one of very few sporting teams. I don't mean soccer teams. I mean, sporting teams, sporting franchises, you know, sporting organizations that were making a profit. They were only up there with, I think, the Brisbane Broncos in the in the NRL. Um, as one of, as one of the only sporting organisations that actually made a profit for certain years, going back about five or six years, uh, which that really speaks to probably a bit more of a broader issue that we should touch on, but not on this program anyway. The segue that I wanted to make, Cody, uh, and again, I know you're the host, but you've you know you've given me the free air here, so I was hoping you'd you'd touch on it, but whatever, it is what it is. Um, the Western Sydney Wanderers. Okay, so to, to just touch on this for a little while, because we've had this whole conversation, there's been this rolling debate about a, a lot of issues going on with New Zealand um, and how the Wellington Phoenix had the potential to be this really bright spark for female sport, let alone let alone just, just the, the, the Phoenix and the Ferns and, and, and female football. But their, their program has really started off really poorly and they're almost using the excuse that they're a new team to perform fairly sub-averagely, right? By contrast, you can see that how Western United have started out with their their um, you know collaboration with Calder United in the MPL Victoria, and how this team has basically started out with a lot of surprising young talent, a lot of imports that we really wouldn't have picked as star players, and of course, being spearheaded by Chloe Legazzo, how they've basically walked the league from day dot, right? And that contrast has been a really big talking point in New Zealand. Like, why couldn't that have been us from, from the start? But there's another club that comes into this conversation in the Western Sydney Wanderers who have essentially been negligent of their female football program. Us in WA, you know, Glory, we were guilty of it as well. The second we lost the money-making machine that was Sam Kerr, we completely neglected the female football program. We finished, you know, uh, a season in, in 21 with, with one singular point for the season. The Wanderers, though there seems to be no ambition there at all, right? It's a really, really serious problem that's going on. Um, and to get to the heart of that, I mean, they're not Western United. They're not the Wellington Phoenix. They're a club that's, what, seven, eight years old? And uh, and there's just no ambition there. They're playing games out of what is essentially a training facility at, at Wondrous Football Park, which... It is, not, it is a very of, elite training facility, it is according not, to their great, It's a great facility, and it actually looks pretty good on, on TV and on streams, but... If they were a bit more ambitious, maybe they would play in a real stadium. You, you know, you know what I mean. Um, oh, yeah. Well, look, I don't know how if they'd go to Bankwest. I think that stadium was used, was designed primarily so they could host A League women's games, um, NPL games. So I didn't actually know that about Perth. Like the fact that they were fairly neglected since the sale of Sam Kerr. So mm. nice touch there. The A League women's as a whole, the three most recent teams to come into it are West United this year, who clearly have an agenda to be one of the top teams in the league. And considering they do represent a very growing area of Melbourne, like we spoke about on the last show, does kind of make sense, I guess. I can see where New Zealand's issue, well, not New Zealand, Wellington Phoenix's issues are coming through because they've kind of set themselves up as just a pathway to get young New Zealand female footballers into professional football. And while they essentially run themselves as just a 
I don't want to say a glorified youth team, but that's essentially what they're trying to do at this stage. But while yeah, they while their yeah, focus yeah, I mean, is p- purely bringing those young players in and not bringing any senior heads in to try and help, I don't uh, even if it's just about just raising the quality a little I mean, bit. You because... say that right, but like like Paige Satchel didn't leave Sydney FC to come home, you know, for the sake of it. Right, she was there as a bit of a statement of intent. And there's 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 been a few players sprinkled in. Lily Alfeld's another one where. Okay, she was part of that disastrous Perth team. She probably didn't want to come home to New Zealand. But it's a statement of intent. You're recruiting well. You're doing what you need to do with the female program. So where are the results the, the going The Ferns from? are better for it. Gem, Gemma Lewis's appointment from being the Ferns coach to moving over to the Phoenix to coach both simultaneously. Now, she fucked off back to the UK, so it, it didn't work out in the end. But uh, just I think there was, there was enough there. There was positivity there. It's just that they, they could be doing a lot more in terms of actually recruiting well enough to being a contending team. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I understand you want to give the young players a go, but when your team is primarily young players and you've got three or four senior heads sprinkled in there, is that going to be enough to be competitive? Because getting... Clearly not. Clearly not. Getting 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 young players minutes is all well and good. But if you're throwing them all on a field to be beaten each and every week, that's not a good thing either. And we're going to touch on the Wanderers soon, but... Everyone's talking about how disastrous the Wanderers are at this stage. Wellington Phoenix are below them. Yeah, no, the I, know, I know. I know. But, but Cody, 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 Cody. The Wanderers are how old? When 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 was the oh, female program filed? A lot, a lot older. Yeah, yeah. Literally close close enough to a decade, right? And this is at the heart of the problem. You you have some stats that you want to read out, so I'm going to let you do the the statistical package for us. Because there, there are some serious problems that we need to highlight about this, and it speaks to a wider problem in the female game. And that's what I mean. Like the, I know I said Wellington Phoenix might be overshadowed by the Wanderers at this stage, because that's just coming out to light. But I think the Wanderers, it's kind of, they're both overshadowing each other in a way, so no one's actually putting enough attention on both of them. The Wanderers, this one's kind of been stelled out a little bit already. They've had one win in their last 19 games. The 20th game before that, a 4-0 win over Melbourne City, March 11, 2021. This is almost two years ago. In that time, they have won one match. Their last win was the 9th of January in 2021. So 2022, sorry, at the start of this year, I wrote that wrong. So you're talking, there was almost 12 months between those two wins. Since then, lost 12, drawn one. That's 13 games they've played since. They haven't won a single one. They've picked up one point in that time. A loss this weekend would make it seven losses in a row, which would be their highest streak in that time. So... They lost six in a row, drew one. They've lost another six in a row. This week would make it seven. Since the 19th of January, 13 games, scored seven goals, so 0.54 per game, and conceded 31. Yeah. Uh, 2.38 uh, per I mean, game. Look, what pisses me off is, and you can speak more on this, but they seem to feel like if they change the personnel enough, It'll it'll drastically change when the the the, the problem is, I mean, I mean two point two point four goals a game, right? We're we're talking about they're almost guaranteed to be losing games by two by two goals every single time they go. I think the pitch. only context that needs to be added to that, a lot yeah. of those came from heavy losses towards the end of last season when Claire Hunt got injured. So okay. there was two five nil losses back to back to Canberra and Melbourne victory. Claire Hunt was a big reason why at the start of the season they weren't getting smacked. For me, the biggest issue in that is the fact that they're not even scoring. They're almost not even scoring a goal every two games at this stage, which is, if you don't score, you don't win. 
I, don't, I hate to sound like Michael Owen, but it's it's fact. They started off this season, they had that 4-2 loss to Newcastle Jets, who probably aren't in the best situation themselves. They haven't had a very good run of results themselves this season, except for that win. And, they, and they've lost they've lost their, their biggest talent in Kirsty Fenton as well. So. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. that's already not a good sign. Although I think Sarah Griffith showed that in that game particularly, that she could be a good pickup. But hmm. that game, they scored the two goals. They had Caceres, who was very much at the center of it. And Tess Bode, who came off the bench in that game, started against Sydney FC. Both of them are injured. Tess Bode is actually gone back to the US. She's no longer going to be part of this Wanderers squad. Who would want to, who would want to you know, like you talk, you're talking that, about, you're talking about overseas a, That's the problem with the Wanderers now. They have a gaping hole up front, which has been their problem for some time now. The issue last season wasn't necessarily the fact that they were missing that figurehead up front. It was the fact that they mm-hmm. were not getting any service up front. I would be curious to know if you had the Wanderers side you have now, so you've got Amy Harrison in the middle, Sophie Harding out wide, you've got two brilliant footballers who can provide very good service for a striker. If they had someone like Briley Henry still running through the middle for him, if things would be a little bit different. Okay. My 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 sort of rebuttal to all of this is it doesn't it doesn't matter. You, you can't polish a turd, right? Like okay, you want you want to you want to make one or two changes, whether whether it be the coaching staff whether it be having an experienced up-and-coming... Well, they've made that change in the coaching staff. You've got rid of Catherine Cannulli, you've brought in Kat Smith, right. and Catherine, it's the same Catherine issues Cannulli's, Catherine Cannulli's commentating on Channel 10 now. I wonder how she's feeling. And Grace Gill as well. Grace Gill was in the, in the Wondrous program. But, like, to get, to, get to, to get to the heart of this, to get to the heart of this, Cody, I mean, let's say let's say they have a Matilda or, or an up-and-coming Matilda like a Briley Henry who's a very important, potent attacking force in that team. It, it, to be honest, it doesn't matter because at the very, very top, Paul Ledra and whoever and whoever the hell else has a say in this, they don't. They they genuinely don't care about the female program. They don't, and that lack of ambition there is a very serious fucking problem. I, I again, uh, excuse me if I'm wrong. I like to bring up the history books a lot, but when have the Wanderers ever had like a really memorable campaign in the dub? When 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 have they ever been a serious contender in the finals? I can't I can't think of it off the top of my head. It's that speaks to crazy because if you look at some of the people that have lined up for the Wanderers as well, the likes of Remy Seasons, Remy Simpson's played for the club. Sarah Hunter's yep. played for the club. Yep. Rachel Lowe's played played for the club. Mm-hmm. And all of those girls left to go to Ellie Sydney Carpenter FC. Got to start there. Sorry, Ellie Carpenter got to start there. Ellie Carpenter got to start there. Ended up at um, Canberra United. Was mm. pushing for finals when she went over there. Yeah, I would argue if you've got players like that at your squad that are playing week in, week out while they're playing for you. And then they go to Sydney FC where, for especially in the case of um, Lowe and Hunter, they didn't go over to Sydney FC to be starters. They started more on the peripheral in the squad and then had to work their way in. If you're a guaranteed starter at a club and you're willing to go to that club's biggest rival to sit on the bench almost, what does that say about the culture of the club? I think that kind of speaks to itself where Sarah, there clearly Sarah Hunter, isn't that much Sarah ambition Hunter's in the Wanderers really women's example, program. Though. This is this is a girl who's literally just captain her country at a youth world cup, right? And she could have been the future of that club if she really wanted to. She said no, and she's and she's like I said, she's she's gone from being at the heart of that world cup campaign to being quite anonymous at Sydney FC. But she would rather make that sacrifice because the program is in that much of a shambles. To be fair, when you say anonymous, about the Wellington uh, Phoenix, we're not talking about a new club here. We're talking about one that's nearly a decade old. Or possibly over a decade old. I don't actually remember what year they started, but for goodness sake, like just this is really fucking messy and and it's not okay because we're sitting here talking about all this talent coming through 
you know, in this position and that position. And we're going to these youth world cups and we're making a proud account of ourselves against the Brazils and Spains of the world. That's great. That is really honestly great. But what does it mean if one of our own clubs doesn't give a single fuck about their women's program and is telling the talent to go elsewhere? What, what does it say? What does it say about our oh, ability God. to develop? Especially Would you say they're telling them? Well, that's probably an like indirect. Wanderers that proudly represents a really strong footballing community. And that, that means something when we're talking about women playing the game. I mean, you would, you would know this, Cody. You're, you're from there. You're from this part of the world. There's, there's a lot of football clubs. There's hundreds of football clubs around the place, a lot of them that are starting to produce women. And the one professional franchise in the area doesn't give a toss. Honestly, look, I think when it comes to the talent in female football, a lot of the talent can be localized in the East. There's probably a little bit of an issue, honestly, in the Western suburbs where there are a lot of clubs just at a junior level that probably don't give a toss about women in football. So that cultural normality, I guess, in a way, which probably shouldn't be a normality, that's an issue in itself. Now, moving forward, the Wanderers, there clearly is a cultural issue in there. And I don't know if it's going to take Paul Letterer finally doing something with the club or if he's got to bring someone in to specifically look after the women's and make sure things are going all right there. But considering the amount of changes they make, considering the amount of personnel they've let go, some of the people that they've let go as well, like the players that have really come through and are synonymous with the region, they're the ones that have really left in recent years. You look at someone like Ashley Croft, oh no, Ashley Croft, um, Rosie Galea is someone that comes to mind actually. Two seasons ago when Wanderers actually, the last time Wanderers really made a push for the finals, she was at the center of it all. Last season, she was basically playing as a bench player. This season, she's not in the A-League women's at all. So the fact that some players that were pivotal to your side when they was doing well, if they're not being looked after, like some of those others that are probably going, yep, no, nah, stuff that I'm getting out of here, the ones that have stuck around actually haven't. They've kind of paid the price as well, where they're no longer actually playing at a professional level. It's There's a lot that can be said about this Wanderers program. And it's sad that we're calling it a program because they should be... You know they've made the, they've fixed the issues that they needed to with the men's. They've brought in players that are going to represent the region and show what it means to play for a club like Western Sydney Wanderers. But in that time, while they needed to make those changes with the men, they the women, as we've probably made clearly obvious by now, has very much been ignored. Yeah. And I think some Wanderers fans are starting to wake up to it now that the pressure is going to be starting to put on yeah. not just the team but maybe the club itself and. The reality is anyone that's been following this Wanderers side should know that the issue, once again, it's like it's the same thing that's happened with the Ment. You've gone a number of seasons without making the finals or playing quite poorly. You've made who knows how many coaching changes, you know, made who knows how many personnel changes. If nothing is getting fixed in that time, there clearly is a culture issue. And hopefully the fans waking up to this on the women's side of the game does force a club to make those changes because it's it can't go on for that long. When you're talking about a club from a famous footballing region like Western Sydney, basically ignoring the issues that are happening in their women's team. And when you look at their side on paper as well, it's not a bad team. You've got the likes of Claire Hunt, who was the reason why they weren't getting smacked the last season. She left the squad. Things kind of went downhill very quickly. Alexia Postolakis one of the best young defenders in Australia right now, was at that Women's World Cup, although I don't know how many minutes she actually got. Amy Harrison's a Matilda. Sophie Harding was one of Newcastle's shining lights last season, even though they weren't too great themselves. There's there's quality throughout this team. 
Mali Steinmetz is an international, for Christ's sakes. Honestly, though, you could say it about all teams in the league. That like there, there is an upside and there is something that is likable about every single team in the league. But um, when you've got that many players going through your squad and you're still playing poorly. Like, I look, looking at this season, I probably wasn't expecting Wanderers to make a strong push for the finals. But no. if you told me after five games they were going to lose all five, I would be shocked. Fair enough. No, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. But I, I think it speaks to a, a wider uh, sort of issue with the league where I think teams may be sort of deceived with a lot of their promise. Um, I, I would I would go as far as to say that. Um, I don't know if you want to you want to touch on the league more broadly now because we were we were going to have a chat about it, Cody. But well, yeah, look, the- you're talking the the gaps kind of split where I don't want to say the the teams towards the bottom of the table are the ones that neglect their uh, female programs, but there's definitely some different approaches that have been made. Canberra United is currently in that bottom pack, but they've proven that they're well. The Canberra they're, they're was the, one I was, gonna, was the if, one I was going to pick out because yeah, <laughs> well, look, if you look at the league table at the moment, there's definitely looking like a split for this season. You've got your top six in Melbourne City, Sydney FC, Western United, Adelaide United, Brisbane Raw, and Melbourne Victory. They are all on nine points and above. Then you got Canberra United, Perth Glory. Uh, Western Sydney Wanderers, Newcastle Jets, and Wellington Phoenix, who uh, have five points or less. So there's a four-point gap between six and seven. Look, I'd, I'd go as far as to say this. I, I obviously understand statistically where you're coming from, but I, if, if you're going to want to include Brisbane as that sort of six team that are contending, I think that's extremely disrespectful to Canberra and Perth in particular. Because, well, look, because of think... the individual talent they possess, they are two teams that on their day, they just need a bit of right form. They need the right results. And they'll be contending any more than Brisbane can. Tell me, tell me, if you want to break this down, who do Brisbane have that is outstandingly better than anyone on the Canberra or Perth Perth eleven? Because I, because honestly, I, I think that that I think your your angle is quite disrespectful here. Oh look, my, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to angle anything. I am stating facts right now. I'm just talking <laughs> about the league table and how it's split. Besides Katrina Gorry. Yeah. yeah, look, there's, I don't, I don't there's talent Brisbane in that Brisbane side. I, don't, I think it'd be disrespectful to say it's like Gorry and just 10 other players on the field. Mate, Dave Connors so. can be a good outlet. Larissa Comer is kind of pushing herself to be a fairly, fairly reliable uh, player. Fairly reliable player for the Matildas, yeah. I mean, not just for an A-League women's level. Mm-hmm. They do have arguably one of the best keepers in the league in Hensley Handcuff. Yeah. And you've got Jamila Aiken as well, another one from that under-20s women's World Cup. <laughs> there, are, there are players there. Are they... A lot better than the likes of Perth or Camper United, probably not. No, no I'm just having just a look at the. Not, I'm like, just like, looking purely at the ladder to see how the competition <laughs> split at this stage, and it's actually one thing that frustrates me about the A League women's currently because when the men's competition did expand to ten and then eleven, twelve, mm. there was that six. They, they introduced that sixteen final series straight away. The women's is still four. The women so didn't do it. Yeah, I, I was I was actually quite surprised by that. Even when they even when they went to ten, I was like, it's it's time to do this now. I think a four teams for a four four team final series is actually really like it. Uh, it has the opposite effect. It doesn't re- it doesn't reward teams as much as you'd like to think. I think it actually holds the likes of Brisbane, Canberra, Perth off a lot uh, from from their ceiling. Um, you know, maybe well, it potentially knocks them out of finals a lot earlier than what you think. The reason why I've yeah. kind of split the competition the way I have is because Perth and Canberra, the way they are now, they've got a massive uphill battle to make finals simply because it is a top four. If you're talking about it being a top six, four points off the pace, you talk. There's, the season's far from over, but even at this early stage, the fact that they've got to climb above at least three teams that are sort of starting to run away from them, yeah, it, it's a tough ask. 
No, it is. And a uh, slow start could be what costs them. 100%. I just don't, I don't, I don't see that points should be a qualifying reason that Brisbane would would be in that elite pack. I just that's all, that's that's look, my. If we're that talking about who, who's looking this. after their women's program, Brisbane Raw don't really look after much of their football programs in general. Uh, so do the do the backeries do the backeries even know they run a football club? <laughs> no, they, they know they run Oxford United. I bet you any money that's where all the money's going. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um. Yeah, look, I I understand I understand it. Um, that you know it it, it probably it's probably a, a quite an uphill battle. Um, especially when we're only looking at a competition with what four fourteen games, Cody. Um, uh, twenty round, I'll have two or three buys each. So you're talking about eighteen games that they're going to play. Eighteen each. games, yeah, okay, it is. So it's four more than what you had last season. So there is still a bit of time compared to what you were facing last season to catch up on that gap that they've created, but. When you've and I'm not mainly pointing out Brisbane Raw because even if you look at the other five in that space, they're five very very good sides and you do well to top any of them. You're talking Sydney FC, are mm. uh, probably a standout women's program in this country at the moment, despite the fact that they've lost the last two grand finals. Almost, un- I wouldn't say undeservedly, Melbourne Victory, uh, a very very good finals team. That's another point. Melbourne Victory, when it comes to must win matches, they've got a they've got a whole different mentality. They're not a team that you're going to get above. Yeah. Then suddenly you've got the other two teams in Melbourne, City, United, both different approaches. Melbourne City, you could almost say, have the best young talent in the country or converging mm-hmm. onto them. And then you mix that with just a, that, that little bit of quality. Like I said, Wellington Phoenix probably needed. You're talking about Amina Ekic, Julia Grossel coming from overseas, plus the likes of Rihanna Policino, who's a fantastic footballer, Maria Rojas, obviously now waiting for um, Ekic's loan to finish before she's able to rejoin the squad. But she goes... Hannah Wilkinson comes back from injury. You've got all this quality play sprinkled around the young talent you're bringing in. Yeah. And then Western United, who have almost been preparing for this season for two or three years now with Caldy United getting those players through there. And then adding some quality, some players that are on the precipice of joining the NWSL in Sydney Cummings, Hannah Keane, and then adding in Jess McDonald, Chloe Lacazo. There's There's a lot there. That's what I mean. Yeah, and then you've got like Adelaide United, yeah. who... And I think, I think you can't you can't write off Adelaide in that pack as Adelaide well. Adelaide United, they, they're, they're going to struggle to make the finals this season purely because there's just so much talent ahead Don't of talent. them. Talent, yeah. And, but, but I mean, let, let's not, let's not uh, make any mistakes here. We're talking about an, an elite group of teams, and then there's a, probably a mid-pack there as well. But, you know, I just... I don't think that it would be fair to make it solely about the talent that Sydney Western... Uh, you know, city. No, well, that's the thing. Like the, we have that mid pack, but the way the competition set up in its current state, that mid pack either there's, there's faces no an uphill battle to make finals no or has nothing to make their presence for. felt. Basically, Sorry? there's no mechanism in place for them to make their presence felt. Because exactly. of the insulated finals series. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I mean. It doesn't give a lot for them to fight for, and it sucks because if you did have that, say, that sixteen final series. Perth and Canberra United. Canberra United have probably one of the most exciting teams in the league. It's just probably been a poor, I don't even say poor run of form. It's always bad, a little bit of run of bad luck. That the fact that they're not really pushing for that final, they're not in a position where they look like they can push for that final series. Because mm. you're talking, you've got a front line, Grace Ma, Nikki Flannery, uh, Vesna Mali. Oh man, I, I'm not good with. Um, I know who names. you're talking about. I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, Michelle Heyman. I do yep. apologize if you do hear that. I just had a brain fade in terms of names and <laughs> my pronunciation. 
But you're talking, you've got an exciting front line. Yeah. The fact that that's being overshadowed by the fact that there's just not enough, I don't want to say incentive, the incentive is always going to be there, but not enough opportunity to put them on a stage where they can really be, be a part of a final series. The whole point of expanding the A-League Women's has been to offer a platform for more f- female footballers mm. to be on show. And if the A-League Women's final series isn't catching up to that, suddenly we're in the position that we were before where we're not getting, we're not having a big enough stage for the quality that could match it. Mm. You want to get I don't into know the, if that made you sense, get but I hope you got it. You want to get into the philosophy of it all, though. You could argue is is that it, I, I like to refer to them as the big three, but maybe it's a bit disrespectful on Adelaide. But if these if these clubs that are in that sort of upper echelon, um, you know, or technically Western as well, would when you say a big three, you're talking Sydney FC. I'm talking Victory I'm talking City. the two Melbourne clubs, the two main Melbourne clubs, and Sydney as well. Yeah. Western, the you still sort of have to accept that they're a bit of a, an anomaly. Yeah, look, well, well. you can say those three but, because they're the three that have been consistently doing exactly, well in the exactly, exactly. women's and for some the time. Programs, they're the programs that have always been at the top for as long as for as long as we've been watching this league, right? Um, and, you know, when, when you look at that and you look at those teams basically already occupying three of the four spots in the top four, plus Western, plus Adelaide, and you're someone who's in charge of trying to get a women's team together at the Wanderers, what incentive do you have? You know what I mean? Like, like I, I kind of yeah, no, I, I understand. Kind of is that ways. maybe the reason why Wellington Phoenix is going down the route that they are, where they're purely focusing on on younger youth talent. development, trying to get them through, yeah. and maybe letting results kind of slide to the side a little bit? Maybe, maybe, maybe so. But you, you still, I don't know. It, it, it's a, it's a tough one because I don't think the cl- the the league as a whole has rewarded those teams enough to give them an incentive. But at the same time, in Australasian, and I say Australasian because our, our Kiwi friends are as big a part of this, equally hosting the World Cup and, you know, with with a lot of talent there as well. The, the, that that in of itself should be an incentive to kick your ass back up the league. You know what I mean? So I, so I think I think the conversation definitely goes both ways. Um, and I still think that it makes for a better final series and it makes for ensuring that we have our best teams at the very top. Um, because, you know, on the surface, someone who knows nothing about women's football could look at what happened last season and say, oh, well, the victory team mustn't have been that good. They must have just got very lucky to win the league from fourth. But that's not really the case at all. They are they are an elite program and they deserve to be there. So, like, yeah, they're... The, the, the I'd argue the argument would be more, oh, Perth had a poor season last season because they didn't make finals. Perth had a very good season. If there was a 16 final series, they would have made it. missed out on goal difference. They mainly yeah. missed out on goal difference. They very, they, the run that they had, especially towards the end of the competition... They almost deserve to be. They almost deserve to be in the finals over the victory, mm, mm, but it's mm, just the way the league mm. is. Uh, I know it's, it's a stretch. It's a stretch. It is, and I, I don't know if it's a statement that I actually wholeheartedly agree with, but I do agree with the fact that Perth probably deserved to be playing finals football last season. Whether it was over anyone, I don't know, but yeah. it, it's an argument. No, that no, can be made. I know where I know where you're coming from, though, um, and particularly the fact that they did it without playing any games at home as well. Uh, oh, yeah, that's really we haven't even thought, I haven't even thought of that. Also. Part disillusioned me into thinking that we were a bit more of a guarantee for the top four. Um, you know, I've obviously been exposed with that process of thinking very fucking quickly, <laughs> but yeah, again, it just speaks, it just speaks to the, speaks to the fact that we have a lot of female programs, you know, delivering a higher and a higher standard. So maybe a top four rewards that higher standard more that a program that's really switched on as the glory are now being denied that opportunity and then Canberra as well. 
them being denied the opportunity is only going to incentivize them to go from a very high level of standard to an elite level of standard, which is only a positive for the Matildas and even the all whites in the future as well. So again, the conversation goes both ways, but I think if we're, if we're looking at this on face value, we should have a top six. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. But, Especially um, if it does go to 12 next season and you're talking a 22 exactly. game season. If you've got a 12 teams in the competition, you're only fighting for a top four. The one that I tell By you, around I'll tell you 13, what, though, 14, there's going to be three or four teams out already. funny is if the Mariners program ends up being a bit of a flop, right? And then we expand to six anyway. All we've done is just say to Canberra, Perth, Brisbane, yeah, just stay where you are and then you'll get your final spots. You know, we've not actually incentivized them anymore because if that Mariners program fails to make <laughs> to make an effect, all we've done is just maintain the status quo. Not and, just and that, but if you're spots. talking, you've got the six that are that have kind of broken away now, then you add yeah. uh, Canberra and Perth to it. You've got eight teams that are going to fight for it. So there is still that incentive where you've got, oh, where 100%. you do need to fight for it. 100%. But so I'm just saying, I don't think it, I'm just it will never be backwards changed. Nothing, nothing would have changed other than the number of the amount of teams. It just depends how that Mariners program. Not just that, but... because Newcastle Jets, I think if they do switch on a little bit, get some of the thing, some of their personnel right, hit a good run of form, they could even push themselves. I don't think they're going to do it this oh, season, but they, they won't shout. do it this season. But if you're talking about what they're currently building, they could maybe push for a next season. Suddenly, got nine teams that can push for finals. Obviously, mm-hmm. Wellington Phoenix probably just need that little bit more seniority in the side. Wanderers need some new people looking after the whole program <laughs> and Mariners. We've just got to wait and see, I guess. Yeah. Well, look, that's everything that we've got covered for tonight. I hope you've enjoyed this deep dive into a few of the topics around the A-League women's game. As always, this is a fortnightly podcast. So we will be back in roughly two weeks. Um, until then, enjoy Dub Zone. Hopefully you enjoyed the shout out that we got by Kat Haddad. Shout out to her getting my the pronunciation pronunciation. I can't even pronounce English myself, bloody hell. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, it was it was credit, it was credit her reading front page dub and then Teo absolutely <laughs> absolutely destroying what she was saying and announcing that a goal was scored. So um, poor time to score. Poor time we're gonna to need score. Cody, we are going to need a formal apology from Teo Valenzieri. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Look, I will take that formal apology in an invite onto the show. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> and if, if if anyone from if anyone from uh, Dubzone happens to be more aware of our program as time goes on, uh, let's get a bit of a collab going. <laughs> Not because we're anywhere near as important or famous as any of the people on that program, or as knowledgeable. <laughs> we are the only we're the only two shows that are that sort of all-encompassing A-leagues, male and female influence, then we're trying to spread the word ahead of the World Cup. So we deserve it. We deserve a seat at the table. That's all I'm saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that came from just me saying, thank you for getting my Spanish pronunciation of my last name right. That was all I wanted to go into that anyway. But um, anyway, enjoy Dubzone. Enjoy the A-league women's. It is a fantastic competition and be sure to support it up until the Women's World Cup next year. And as always, we are always on the lookout for female writers. So if you've got anyone listening is interested, be sure to contact Front Page Football Socials or contact Christian Marchetti, our boss, um, directly. <laughs> anyway, the that Don, is all from us. The Don. The Don, the Don. That is all from us today. Matt, do you have any parting comments? Yeah, I would just I would just say look, look forward to what should be a very few good weeks for the competition. Well, it's always a few, uh, few good weeks of the competition with a dub, one of the best competitions in the world, right up there next to the A-League men's, my two favourite uh, competitions in world football. 
maybe besides the World Cup, but that's a whole different beast. Anyway, thank you for joining us today. We will be seeing you in two weeks.